Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand in your life you remember making an impact on you as a child? Wheaties. I love the Olympics. I loved competing. I love this story of the win from behind and the underdog. It's just like, oh, I just, I love the drama. I love sports and just seeing somebody on the cover of Wheaties. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO Podcast is MJ DePalma, the Global Director of Cultural and Inclusive Business Impact at Microsoft, the company Bill Gates founded way back in 1975. Microsoft is now a $200 billion by revenue and growing company with 220,000 employees. And I am sure you have noticed Microsoft has been in the headlines more than usual this year with its investment in OpenAI. MJ is a UCLA graduate in psychology and has been at Microsoft twice in her career, once for four years and is now going on 10 years in her current stint. She has been in her role as global director for more than five years. MJ has a gift for inspiring and motivating people, and you will certainly feel that in this interview. Here's my chat with a leader who wrote the Marketing with Purpose playbook at Microsoft, and we'll talk about that. Here's MJ. MJ, welcome to the CMO Podcast. I don't know if you remember this, but I interviewed you in the summer of 2021 when you were awarded Creative Marketer of the Year at the Cannes Lions Festival. And that year it was virtual, of course, because it was in the middle of the pandemic. Well, since then, two and a half years later, your company has added about $700 billion in market cap. You've added basically the market cap of two P&Gs to Microsoft in the last two and a half years. So, I mean, just amazing. (laughs) So let's start with what is the magic going on in this company that you are so very fond of? Thanks so much, Jim. I mean, you really hit the nail on the head. I am pretty fond of this company. And I know that. I think, you know, there's some magic for sure happening. And I believe it's rooted in the thoughtful creation of our mission. And the mission statement that we have is not just a throwaway phrase, it's something that we take very seriously, and that is to empower every person and every organization to achieve more. And so that is a challenge, right? And so, but we are definitely making progress towards that in material way. Obviously in the last year, the advent of our co-pilot infused in a lot of our technology that gets to empower so many people is playing a huge role in that. I also believe that our culture, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast is is a saying. And, you know, when you really feel 
genuinely that you can bring your whole self to work, which means all of your ideas and lived experience, that's when the magic happens because then we start designing for the, you know, the vast breadth, depth of, of challenges that the world has. And so humbly, it's a journey. We don't have it all figured out, but I think we're on to something and we want to create the world that we want to live in with everyone, you know, not just for them, but together with them. And I think designing with those that we're trying to empower rather than just for them is a little bit of a magic recipe, right? It's, it's co-creation. I, I think that's enough, enough said there, really. We're going to talk a lot about purpose a little bit later in the show, but what part of this amazing business story do you feel is not told enough, not emphasized enough? I think that it takes, it takes a lot of hard work, right? And I know that I have colleagues that have been consistently dedicated to our business for you know, 20 years. I work within Microsoft Advertising. It's the line of business within Microsoft that monetizes our digital properties. And I've known many of them. My whole career at Microsoft has been within this line of business. You know, there's many of us still here after 20 something years. And so I think that there's this story of passion, dedication, like like none other, an enthusiasm for the, the, the most difficult problems that the world, the planet, society is facing. And there's human beings that don't shy away from those challenging problems. We lift one another up, I think, by trying to build on the work of each other rather than being like the kind of culture where, look at me, look at me. It's more about a culture of, hey, what are you working on that I can build off of? And someone comes to me and says, hey, can I work, can I build on what you're doing? And this this co-creation, like I had said earlier, creates this flywheel of impact. It's rewarding this idea of a culture of collaboration, to put it simply. MJ, let's let's now talk about your specific role. And you have one of the all-time great job titles, Global Director of Cultural and Inclusive Business Impact. And uh, we've talked about this. You just seem to be loving what you do. I, I got that when I talked to you two and a half years ago. I follow you online. So tell us what about this job, this role, has you so energized? I have created this role from really doing the classic stretch project over the you know course of a couple of years prior to moving into this role. Part of why this role is so energizing to me is that to me, being able to study how organizations create value and the systems in place to create more of that magic at scale is really what this role is about. And innovation is really a byproduct of a great culture that uncovers how a product service experience, a company is not meeting the needs of people or organizations, which you can say that's a proxy for exclusion, Mm -hmm. right? The opposite of inclusion. We talk a lot about inclusion and diversity, but the magic really lies in your skill set in uncovering exclusions. And so being the director of cultural and inclusive business impact, 
being able to empower and design a system within Microsoft, Microsoft advertising to energize and, and supercharge everyone else and no matter what role they have to heed the calling of empowering every person in every organization. That's what's so energizing about it. And everyone loves to, to do it because for them, it's that, that beautiful, the Japanese have a really good name for it. It's a, a kikigai. I think I might be saying it not exactly correct, but it's how people find their purpose in life. Mm-hmm. I often talk about, you know, what are you, what do you love doing? What are you passionate about? What do you do really well? And then what brings value to your company, to you, to society when you find those things in, in that intersection? And I believe everyone can find those things in the role that they have. They don't have to quit their job and, you know, go go volunteer somewhere and live a very different life than they have today in order to feel fulfilled. I think they can do it in any role that they have. And so my role is is helping those within Microsoft, but also all of our customers and clients. And it's just a fun puzzle to help people put together for themselves. I love when I see the light bulb go, goes off for, for others. When they're having trouble finding meaning in their work, how do you help them through that? Because I agree with you. I think you can do it in almost every role, not everyone, but I think it's uh, it takes some creativity some self-awareness mm-hmm. uh, to do that. So when, when someone is a little bit stuck and you don't think they're bringing their full potential, they're not happy in, in their work, what, how do you help them through that? Well, we, I think at Microsoft, have a little extra help because we have a mission that is bold and super clear. So I always bring them back to you work for an employer that has this really bold and clear mission. And so taking a look at your role where have you already empowered more people than had you not been in that role, right? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes just looking at the ways that we've delivered as an individual to that uber overarching mission. But then also we talk a lot about this three stool strategy for driving impact, which is your individual con- contributions, building on the work of others, and creating something that others can build upon. And so doing a little reflection exercise on how you might have already been doing this and not realizing it, I think helps people feel super valuable. And I think anyone could agree that when you see someone reflect your, you know, yourself back to you and I see you kind of, uh, you know, exercise feels really energizing. You've been in the role about five years. What are you most proud of in that time? I am very proud of Marketing with Purpose. It is a framework for building more trusted customer experiences, but I also think it's a framework for building a fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter uh, where you are, whether you look at yourself with your employee hat on, a consumer hat on, a member of society, when I think about civic responsibility or a company's responsibility, the three core building blocks of trust, they start with responsibility. And sometimes, you know, some of us get the opportunity to have some impact through the power that we have of our platform. And with great power comes great responsibility. And then also values is the second core building block of trust in marketing with purpose. And when you think about shared common human values, you know, no one can argue with that. There's some values that shift depending on what part of the world you're in or what culture you're a part of or even personal beliefs. 
but there are some common human values that bind us all. And then last but not least, inclusion. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit about uncovering exclusions through the idea of let's consider empathy as our guiding principle of finding those exclusions. And so I'm really proud of putting together a framework based on our first party research. And Kelly Kemery was a partner of mine internally here who is the market researcher that I partnered with to do this research. I always like giving her credit. She's an incredible human. And marketing with purpose has been something that we are also exploring to infuse in the way that we use Copilot and AI. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of there's so many great insights from this research. You know, if anybody wants to do a search on marketing with purpose in my name, you'll find a 105 page playbook that I know that has 12 feelings of inclusion that we uncovered from Generation Z. And when we think about we're using, you know, generative AI, one of the aspects of a really great prompt is asking it to consider particular feelings or tones. And I think feeling is something that is very human. And we shouldn't lose sight of that when we use uh, technology. And I think that our co-pilot is really in a good spot working on infusing some of these marketing with purpose insights into our co-pilot uh, features is the next exciting thing that I'm doing. And so I'm very proud of that. <laughs> what would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Oh, for sure. Now, I want to go more deeply into all of this because you are mm -hmm. a thought leader in purpose-driven business and brand building. You, as you said, developed, you're most proud of this playbook that you've developed. Uh, you have online courses and content. You're a vocal advocate of this way of doing business. So I'd like to go back to the fundamentals on this. Why are you so passionate about this work? Yeah. What is it about your life experience or what is it about your career? What is it? So why is this what you're most proud of and what you're devoting a tremendous amount of energy to at Microsoft? I have had quite a number of experiences over my lifetime where I know what it feels to be excluded. And then on the opposite side, I know what it feels and I know what it does to be included. And when I came back to Microsoft, because I had left, I first started out mm -hmm. in 2007, around 2010, I, I had left just a different and fundamental, I would say, culture that didn't match who I wanted to work for at the time. We had some colleagues of mine said, come back, we're going we're gonna to have a different CEO. His name is Satya Nadella. And he is going to change things for the better around here. And I really respected these folks that reached back out to me. And I was like, yes, let's, I want to come back because I really wanted to experience this feeling of being able to make scaled impact, global impact. That's one thing that I, I really gets me sort of excited. And 
when I came back, there was a gentleman who was leading our business. He just had gotten the position. His name, name was Rick Vanderkoy, and he was uh, a gentleman from Amsterdam. He, he's from that, I would say, culture. And the reason why I'm saying that is because he walked out on stage to introduce himself for the first time. And I had a little unconscious bias looking back at that moment. I saw a tall white man walk out on stage. Of course, to myself, I said, you know, it makes sense. That's what normally a a leader in that position looks like. Mm -hmm. But then he said some words to an image behind him that was this woman sitting on a Harley, a Latina looking woman, and no words on the screen. And it was like, very intriguing. He said a few welcoming remarks. And then he said, no matter what gender, ethnicity, or sexual orientation you are, you belong here and you have a role to play. And that was the moment where I started to like shake in my seat, like I could feel myself realize that I had always expected not to be counted for who I really was in the full breadth and depth and my entire lived experience. The word sexual orientation, the phrase had never actually been said out loud from that high of a position uh, on a stage to me that I've been uh, aware of. And in that moment, I thought, wow, I might have an opportunity here for the first time ever to actually feel like I am home. And I remember saying home to myself. Now, this is a job. Mm-hmm. This is a company. This is like not home, like I'm sharing a home with my family. But that's, I think we forget how much our time that we spend with people, the time that we spend executing a mission, it's like our life. I want to spend my time doing something that means and matters to me. So at the end of my life, I can look back and go, I left no stone unturned and I am. I feel like my time was well spent. And being myself, it wasn't just Rick. It was many, we were on a journey at the time, the new Microsoft to understand what does diversity and inclusion mean? How do we do it? Not just talk about it. And I started to see us actually grow internally to value everyone's lived experience. And I started, there was one other gentleman that said something to me. His name was Dalip. And he was my onboarding buddy. He was a colleague of mine. And he said to me, he took me aside about six months back. He's like, MJ, stop agreeing with everyone in meetings. We hired you for your ideas. We don't want to, you know, yes, yes, yes. And that really hit me too. I was like, huh. And I started to really get the courage to be vulnerable, to share my real ideas. And guess what? They had room and and they were valued and they were watered and then they started to grow and I started to do the best work of my life. And that is why, that is why I am where I am today. Mm-hmm. And that's why Marketing with Purpose exists is because I wanted to learn how do I scale that magic to others, to other businesses. And we often talk about, you know, including Uh, marginalized communities. And that is very important. And that is near and dear to my heart. But I also want to talk to the white men out there that thank you. There's been many of them in my life and in my path that have unofficially mentored me. Mm -hmm. And I often say, like, we need to stop preaching to the choir, but make the choir bigger, because our whole society will benefit from it. 
And that's what true inclusion is, is everyone. Oh, your company's a, a living example of that. Look at the culture, look at the results. So I think it's a beautiful proof point of everything that you and I believe in, in, in marketing and, and companies with purpose. So what do, you, what do you wish more people understood about marketing with purpose? Is it the simplicity of your two, your two golden rules, which I've heard you talk about, be authentic, be trustworthy, which you've already mentioned, or is it something else? What do you wish more people understood about it? Because mm-hmm. I think the concept sometimes gets confused. Well, I would love to understand what you perceive it as confused with, but I think marketing has a branding problem. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So the word marketing within marketing with purpose, everyone thinks it's just, just marketing. But what marketing actually to me means is the full breadth of the business strategy of any given company. So product, product design, you know, how we go to market, the audience, everything. I think there's, you know, a, a couple of other frameworks to describe marketing as like the five Ps, the seven Ps. So I think I wish people understood more that it is a framework for business yeah. and, and how you do business. It's not something necessarily in and of itself to sell. It's how you sell. It's how you design. It's how you market. It's how you design your policies, right? So when we think about creating value and creating a brand where people are like, you are a brand for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell people about you because I just love how much you get me. And so that's what I wish that people understood about marketing with purpose is that it can be applied in so many different scenarios from a business standpoint. And I also think it's a personal thing too. You know, when you think about if you as an individual are clear on your purpose, you follow through on what you're going to say, you're responsible, you have values that are clear where others can say, oh, I share those values. And of course, there's a chance that there may not be shared values. The point is not to be everything to everyone all the time. The point is, is to be exactly who you say you're going to be so that others who share that vision for what they want in their life can connect with you and be on that journey. You work with a lot of clients. I think, I mean, Microsoft works with mm-hmm. probably every one of the Fortune 500, I would guess. Mm-hmm. So you, you, are, you are rather ubiquitous. So you've worked on, on purpose and brands with a lot of different categories and a lot of different leaders. So what do you find most CEOs and CMOs struggle with in bringing purpose to life in their companies, on their brands? You know, I think many conversations that I've had with CMOs and a few CEOs is that they worry about this idea of what I call woke washing right? So, or greenwashing or however you want to, not coming across authentic. You know, what I share with them is it's a, it's a journey of transparency. It's a journey of self-reflection of like, what is, why does your company exist? Do you have a strong mission statement that is absolutely locked tight, everyone can get behind and deliver the product or service that you're put on the planet to deliver in a way that adds unique value? Is it time to actually do a exercise and revise that? Why are you on earth 
in a unique way. And when, when you actually can put hang your hat on that, that is why you exist. And then taking a look at your values and really being clear about those helps every single employee know how to execute that mission. And so in terms of being able to express that authentically, because authenticity is the number one, number one brand attribute to building trust and trust leads to brand love and brand love leads to loyalty and loyalty is the number one indicator of future revenue growth. And it all makes sense. That is why it's so important to understand why you exist, who you are, what's your mission, what's your values, because you're a team. And when a team can row in concert, when all the cylinders are firing in the same direction, you're going to get there more efficiently, more powerfully, and people are going to want to go along for the ride. And so I think ensuring that that is in place first, and then your marketing falls into place, your products fall into place. It's a worthwhile exercise just to even review it. Because times of change of, of the world seems to be accelerating. Mm-hmm. You know, we had obviously a couple of very ma- major events in the entire world in the last few years. I think one, one thing is certain that getting used to how things change so much more quickly is something to prepare ourselves for and get better at. And so always reviewing like why we exist isn't a bad exercise. We talked at the start of this podcast about the market cap you have built in the last two and a half years. And obviously, Microsoft is one of the most valuable companies in the world. What could others learn from this journey you have been on at Microsoft in bringing your purpose to life? You, you spoke so passionately about it to open up the show. You know, for all the CMOs and CEOs and brand leaders listening right now, mm-hmm. you've obviously... You have a fabulous purpose. It's meaningful. It's coming to life and you're crushing it on the business. What could we learn from you? Well, I think what I've learned from being a participant, but also I'm very passionate about observing, being a really active listener, active observer. I think this is my opinion and I'm I'm looking at it being at Microsoft for 15 years now when you add both tours of duty together. It's, it's a total of 15 years. And, and in thinking about it, we have our eye on a long-term goal. And we believe that business plays a role in creating the world we want to live in. You know, I think Satya and others have said, we have to create a system that is in balance with the planet and with society. And so I think that having a long-term vision for how you fit into the world, often many business leaders really optimize very myopically to quarter over quarter, quarter over quarter, quarter over quarter. And all of a sudden, you know, you pick your head up and you're like, oh no, (laughs) we are in the middle in the back of the pack here. So I think having people who I love connecting the dots to things that seem to be coming into focus before they're actually in focus. Having inclusive leadership that gets curious, listening to the individual contributors who are super passionate about things that maybe you might not know about. 
I think that was me. I was jumping up and down in like um, 2007. And I had a really amazing boss, Nikki Smith, who really paved the way and sort of was my sponsor in this idea of inclusive marketing before it was even a thing. You know, multicultural marketing was the only thing that was really being talked about at the time. And I, and, and I, and I really believe that having leaders who are willing to take some risks. And I had this amazing conversation with Jen Cregan, who is our CMO mm-hmm. and uh, general manager of operations, our vice president of operations. And back then, connecting the dots between an internal concept, which was diversity and inclusion. At the time, it was traditionally just something sort of, I would say, innovative at its time for internal creating culture. But what I was talking about and proposing is that we apply that to how we show up for customers and how we design for customers and then empowering our clients to design for customers with inclusion in mind. So it being a business principle, a business practice. And we had a lot of discussion and support. And so I think that's what I would say to those listening is, you know, you never know where the next great idea is going to come from uh, unless you just get curious and allow people to bring up their ideas. And so I, I'm forever grateful for those that listened at the time. I think we are all really excited about what the future holds and how we can show up to participate in solutions. You've spoke earlier about the marketing playbook that you're very proud of and that you've developed. For others who would like to have sort of a playbook Mm -hmm. for for purpose in their companies, could you speak a bit about what you learned about building that? And what what were the most important elements? What was the most important part of your process? What's the impact been in this incredible business story that is Microsoft? So for those who might consider building their own playbook mm-hmm. on purpose for their companies, what's your counsel? Give yourself space and time to marinate in learning and reading and connecting the dots. I mean, that's what happened for me is when more voices are heard, better decisions are made. That is one of the principles for us with working internally with regards to diversity and inclusion. And what had happened was there was an extension to a a working team working on these brand research studies. And I was included on many of them. And all of a sudden, it was like I saw the matrix. I saw how all these studies related to one another. and, And that's where marking with purpose was born, trust drivers of brands and the psychology of inclusion and the effects in advertising. And so in order to create a net new body of work that is valuable, I think it takes time and patience and a type of skill that allows you to be a little more creative than just being told what to do. (laughs) And you start to see how things are related to one another. For example, within Marketing with Purpose, these 12 feelings of inclusion, what do you do with those? I didn't really quite know the power of those to their full extent until just right before can of last year, 
I read a study, a neuroscientist, Antonio Damasi, discovered that humans cannot make a decision without accessing emotion. I was like, wait a minute, inclusive ads drive a 23 point increase in purchase intent. And there's these 12 feelings of inclusion that were delineated by Gen Z that we studied on what they experience in inclusive advertising. And I was like, huh, well, those feelings can be a proxy for how your products solve problems that are the antithesis of those feelings. And so we're building into a, a new body of work. You can call it attention with purpose, like how to have valuable, thoughtful attention through advertising that is genuine and authentic. Like I always talk about that. It has to be genuine and authentic, not manipulative, real payoffs from using your products and services that could make you feel confident or safe or accepted. And so that's just a, another way of you know, allowing yourself that creativity, that time and that space that I talked about to connect the dots and allow yourself, you know, the authorship to produce a new, new knowledge. That's what this is, is. I think a guidebook is about new knowledge, not remixing, not a lot of people take a lot of things and then they remix mm -hmm. it and then they put it out there and it's just like content marketing. I believe that the world has some real problems that we all need to participate in solving. And sometimes we forget that we could be really powerful agents if we just give ourselves space and time to produce some new solutions, new ways of looking at things. Mm -hmm. How are you thinking about generative AI and impacting purpose in companies and activating purpose and having it impact people's lives in a positive way, which is mm -hmm. what it's all about? Well, the first step is to get a wide swath of different people using it. <laughs> right now, I read a stat somewhere that I think there's a disproportionate amount of men using generative AI than women. And to me, that's just a core fundamental problem. Yeah, It's going to become a problem because yep. we need to be able to understand how it works so that we can shape it and maybe how it's not working. <laughs> and also be able to understand how, you know, our lived experience can be accelerated by it and keep up, right? So I'm thinking about it in terms of getting people just to jump in and start using it. Take a course, take, you know, go on LinkedIn Learning and take a look around and just, you know, allocate some time every week and start learning how to do mm -hmm. what's called prompt engineering and designed how you ask the questions to generative AI. And all of a sudden your world just starts to like open up on like how I can leverage this incredible tool. You know, you can ask it so many amazing, amazing questions that can just start you off. It doesn't mean it's doing the work for you. It's helping giving you a foundational piece of knowledge, depending on what you're asking it, to then springboard with you as the pilot. Remember, we call ours a co-pilot. You're the yeah. pilot. You're in charge. We talk a lot about the genre of AI, but it's like you are in the driver's seat. So I think there's a lot of value in just exploring what are your values, what competitive analysis. There's nothing that it 
they can't do in terms of the normal activities when you were to maybe say do a planning session or you know taking a look at what kind of new mission statement you should evolve into so my first thought really there's some basics that need to i think be overcome right now which is we need everyone and every lived experience to have access to be able to use it to understand like the implications of how it can better your individual life better your role and then figure out and uh, accelerate your fulfillment in your role and responsibilities that you have wherever you're at yeah and i i mean i could go on about some of the you know experiences that i've had individually about you know some aha moments and some great mm-hmm. material that i've learned i mean the first first step is to get women start using generative ai and then you can go to other dimensions of diversity and take a look sure this concept of purpose in business and even diversity equity and inclusion is under some attack by some people some some of our colleagues here in the, this country and, and others. How do you respond when someone pokes at that, criticizes the concept? Where do you take that conversation? I, I often wonder, so where I usually take it is, what is the end game? What is our end game? Is it for profit? Are we still in this agency model from the 70s that we have to actually deliver profit to shareholders? And then that's where the road ends? Because if we do, we will not have a planet to do business on, full stop. And so this idea that we don't have a responsibility to society, to the environment, to the employees that work for us, and the only thing we care about is profit, to me, is irresponsible and short-sighted. I don't have children, but I am a, a godmother to a couple. And I think we can all agree that the future belongs to them. And so if we are not understanding our role in creating the future world that we're going to hand to them, then we're sorely mistaken on the role of, of business. Even the United Nations has said, we cannot do this with, alone. We need, we need the public sector. And I think having purpose is intrinsically baked into, and more and more often, financial performance. Mm-hmm. More, we're seeing it happen with ESG-focused funds. It is happening. I think that it's uh, short-term gains is going to be long-term pain for others. We can't sacrifice the future for now. I think every single company has a purpose. It just depends on how good your purpose is for insulating yourself for what's, what's to come. I'm going to flip into the creative brief now. MJ, and my first question is, what's the first brand in your life you remember making an impact on you as a child? <laughs> Wheaties. <laughs> Wheaties, yeah. Good. Yes. Why? I loved the Olympics. I loved competing. I loved the, the, the story of the wind from behind and the underdog. It's just like, oh, I just, I love the drama. I love sports. And just seeing somebody on the cover of Wheaties, Mary Lou Retton comes mm-hmm. to mind. 
dating myself and I played pretty high level soccer when I was younger. I, I competed, was in the women's US nationals soccer camp, trying to get a spot on the team. Wow. Had friends on the 99 World Cup team. I went and watched them play. A little painful for me not to be on the bench, but in the in the stands. But it was amazing to see 99,000 people watching a women's sporting event in 1999. It was the most magical thing ever. So short answer, Wheaties. Wheaties. I like your longer <laughs> answer better. So you studied psychology years ago at UCLA. My wife's a UCLA graduate, by the way. So is my daughter. Go Bruins. Yeah. Go Bruins, indeed. And you had an emphasis on LGBT people and power and influence. Mm-hmm. How did that experience shape you? I had a profound learning experience at UCLA where, you know, this idea of sexual orientation and even gender to an extent is a spectrum that can be a combination of lived experience, environmental and genetics. Gosh, Linda Garnett was my professor who wrote a book that talked about this. And for me, the human experience is a spectrum, right? We are blended, a blended outcome of genetics and our environment. And I think that having had that education has made me a pretty open-minded human where, you know, anytime anyone says, this is the way we've always done it. So, you know, snap to it. I'm like, "Mm -mm, not sure about that. Let's take a look at that. Let's dig in a little bit more. Can I ask some questions? (laughs) So, I think that's really been empowering for me. And I've always wanted to understand people, what makes them tick. As a young kid, I was a little on the heavy set side. Came from an Italian family, my genes maybe not in my favor. And I was excluded from a, a body standpoint, body bias standpoint. So psychology, understanding humans and what you know motivates them. And I didn't realize how much I use that degree in everything that I do, but I do. Go UCLA, right? Yes. Now, you live on an island near Seattle. What do you love best about island life? It's really about community and being able to connect with neighbors and be able to, you know, see the same people commuting on the ferry. Yeah. Talking about pre-pandemic, I used to commute daily on a motorcycle, on a ferry, and it was like the, it was like floating cheers, you know? Yeah, sure. Like, <laughs> Sounds great. You know? So, mostly community. I like, that's what I love about island life. But currently sometimes, you know, I post things, hashtag island life when the ferry is not working (laughs) or, you know, power goes out or something. (laughs) There's challenges too. Sure. Who has been the most inspiring person in your life? I want to say my parents. I can't say one over the other, but you know, my dad did not graduate junior high school because he had to go to work to support the family when his dad suddenly passed away. And so he became a machinist. He was a blue collar worker his whole life. And he went to work super early in the morning, worked really hard. And he provided for four kids. I was one of four. And my mom had to overcome a lot of challenges. I think a lot of bias in society when it comes to heavyset people. And she was on the heavyset side. 
but she was one of the most incredible mothers I could have ever asked for. Kind, compassionate, supportive, and they both always told me, you can be anything you want to be, anything you want to be, you can do it. I still have a letter that they wrote to me when I was in college, and I have it framed. And so I think raising a family is something that I'm not going to get a chance to do. And I think it's just inspiring the selflessness, the act of being a parent that scrimped together money so that I can go to soccer tournaments and Mm -hmm. give me this opportunity to have a better life. My parents always said, you know, one generation building on the next generation's shoulders, and they did everything they could to uh, give me that opportunity. So, What's in that letter that's framed? What was their advice? Just that no matter what, they're always thinking of me. And I still believe that to this day, even though they're not here, I feel their spirit, you know, alive inside me and that you can be anything you want to be. That was really the spirit of the letter. They each wrote like just a couple lines, you know, in their own handwriting and signed it. And my dad always wrote a toy, A-T-O-Y, always thinking of you. And, and then my mom, Tony and Mary. <laughs> well, make sure your siblings listen to this podcast episode. I, think <laughs> I they, will. I think they would enjoy it. Thanks. MJ, thank you for your generosity, your spirit, your wisdom, and golly, everything you and your colleagues are doing at Microsoft. I think it's an inspiring leadership group. You've had a change at the corporate CMO level, which looks very positive. All the best to you. Thank you for this wonderful holiday chat. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you and everyone listening. That was my conversation with MJ DePalma. Three takeaways from this one at the holiday time for your business brand and life. And these are three, I think, very, very great lessons for our life as well as our business. First one is just the simple power of inclusivity as a concept in business and purpose in life. MJ talked about what it's like to feel included, what it's like to feel excluded, and actually great brand building is inclusive. People feel like they want to be part of a brand and a brand sends out a strong message of inclusion. Second takeaway, coaching and role models. MJ spoke about advice she's gotten throughout her career that made a real difference in her development as a leader and in her development within Microsoft. And I love this one piece of advice. Someone came up to her after a meeting and said, you always agree with everything. We hired you for your ideas and your opinion. So please speak up. And she's never forgotten that. Third takeaway, emotion drives everything. Here's Microsoft talking about purpose and business. Microsoft is a pretty good analytical company, and they're talking about emotion driving purchase intent, emotion driving brand affinity. And the last takeaway, and this is a bonus one, and it's a great one for the holiday time. We had a beautiful discussion about MJ's parents, her mom and dad. They're no longer with us. And it was a lovely, poignant, warm, beautiful discussion about what it feels like to have great parents and the impact they have. Have a happy holiday, everyone. Thanks for listening throughout the year. We'll be back next year with more great episodes with amazing people. Happy holidays to you and your family. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. 
And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.